Take your Bibles and let's turn immediately to Daniel chapter 12, a different night tonight, obviously. We're in preparation for our spiritual history tour. And the Word of God tells us in Daniel chapter 12, I'll give you a moment to get there. We're starting verses 2 and just read verses 2 and 3 here in just a moment. And Jesus said that a prophet is not without honor except for his own nation. And we take for granted our spiritual American history that we have and our heritage and the fact that we live in the backyard of the first and second great awakenings something that's not even taught in our country today and uh, hasn't been taught for many years, of course. And I remember learning about them in public school, the first Great Awakening, about 17, circa 1740 to 1755, really had its birth date or its Pentecost right over here in Enfield, Connecticut. And about five, you can see the rock there where the church used to stand and where Jonathan Edwards preached his famous message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And we've been to the church in Newburyport, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, of course, where George Whitfield preached one of his 13,000 sermons that he preached, 6,500 6, here in the United States here, and preached over in Sharon, and preached his last message in Newburyport, and he was the evangelist of the First Great Awakening, and, and Thomas, uh, rather, uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards was the, was the theologian of the First Great Awakening, two superstars that started the First Great Awakening, two super preachers, if you will, but the Second Great Awakening, about 1795, through 1810, 1813, depending on who you want to believe, or was uh, more of a, like a thousand points of light. And the superstar, the, the spark that lit the conflagration that set the world afire was none other than Samuel J. Mills, our neighbor, one mile away, right on Torringford Street. If you want to get the screen up here, and we just included this here about six minutes ago, or six minutes before the service, I should say. Can you get that first picture up here as we begin our, you have a, a uh, outline here in front of you here, and we're going to talk about Samuel J. Mills here tonight in, in the majority of the time, of course, and you see the, you have your worksheet in uh, Revelation 14 and verse 13 says, and their works do follow them, and here it is 200 plus years later, and the works of Samuel J. Mills are still uh, with us, of course, and you say, I don't know any of his works. Well, yes, you do. You just don't know you know him, of course, and uh, he affected the world for Christ. I call this the greatest story never told. I call Samuel J. Mills the Apostle Paul of America, and uh, grew up right over in our backyard. And 98% of all of 99% of all of Torrington wouldn't even know who Samuel J. Mills is. But uh, the Bible says, and let's read their verses here. It's Jan Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt, or contempt rather. Verse 3 is our text verse, if we have a text verse. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. I've never been to Hollywood. I've been close. I've been to California several times. And I understand they have a walk of fame, a Hollywood walk of fame. Stars, of, stars in the concrete cement, of course. Uh, stars of Hollywood, of course. Well, God has his stars as well. And uh, I believe Samuel J. Mills is one of the superstars of, of Christ. Of course, he'd give all the glory to the Lord, and that's one reason why he's, he's really a superstar. But let's, let's uh, open our worksheet here and begin the true life story of Samuel J. Mills, the greatest story never told. He only lives to be 35 years of age, and we'll start off the tour on Friday morning. We'll make two pit stops in Torrington. We're going to go about two and a half miles from here, and we're going to go over to the cemetery in, uh, in Torrenford Cemetery, of course, behind the Congregationalist Church, there's a picture on the screen of uh, 
the, the graveside of Samuel J. Mills Sr. And uh, let's look, examine, if we could here for a moment here, the, uh, the childhood of Samuel J. Mills. Notice, if we could here, the first quote, though. We know much about Mills because he wrote a diary. He kept his memoirs and told the same with Obuakai. They, they, they had their own Facebook of the day, of course, where they wrote down their daily uh, 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 activities, of course. And he wrote this to Elias Cornelius uh, at the beginning, uh, and he, he would be the secretary of the American Board for Commissioners for Foreign Missions. I know you haven't heard of that, ABC, FM, and, uh, but that, they were the missionary, missionary society of the day, of course, the first, they were the BIMI of the day. And uh, Cornelius was a famous preacher, of course, in, in his own right. And Samuel J. Mills wrote as a young man to this also young man named Elias Cornelius, he wrote, though you and I are very little beings, we must not rest satisfied till we have made our influence extend to the remotest corners of this ruined world. And we're gonna find out that Samuel J. had a great, great desire for uh, the, the spreading the gospel, of course, more than any man in his generation for sure. He's the first child of Samuel Father Mills, as he was called, and, and uh, Esther Robbins, of course, and uh, uh, they passed it right over on 183, right? We'll go there on Friday, of course, and we'll see the house. Uh, in fact, you can, you can go to the next screen if you want to, but uh, they're buried there at the, the cemetery, and this is the house, the original house to be to your left, of course, was the original house. It actually burned in 1823, to be exact, and, uh, and Samuel J. dies in 1818. But uh, that's the footprint where he lived, of course, and he and his father, he was the seventh child of, of uh, Samuel Nestor Mills. And Pastor Mills, or Reverend Mills, pastored for 64 years at church. And of course, that's a new church building there across the street. Somebody, most everybody knows what I'm talking about already, uh, the Congregationalist Church. And uh, he preached there for 64 years, of course, and uh, there's over 30 pages in our Torian History book uh, about a... 500 plus, well, 700 page book. 30 pages are devoted to Father Mills, as they called him, and Sammy J. Mills Jr. And uh, again, the last son of uh, only three of the f seven children lived uh, uh, past their infancy, of course. And uh, the, the one daughter would spend her life in Hawaii for, as a missionary, thanks to her uh, youngest brother, uh, Samuel J., but we don't have time to talk about that. Uh, Acts 9, 7, 15 is a verse that I think portrays uh, not only Paul's life, Saul of Tarsus' life, but I, all of our lives were chosen. I'm not teaching you Calvinism. I'm just teaching the Lord knows who's going to be saved and who isn't going to be saved. And the Bible says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Of course, Paul, God is speaking about Saul of Tarsus. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I think the same could be said for the Samuel J. Mills, and uh, and so he he's not even known today in uh, Torrington, little around the world, of course. And it used to be uh, just give you one for example here. When before before Google, we had something called before the internet, we had something called Encyclopedia Britannica. Remember those days? Remember the, I remember the salesman coming to our house, and you know you had to have a shelf this big, of course, for Encyclopedia Britannica. And I remember opening those up when I first, uh, this is before the internet, and, uh, and you could read about Sammy J. Mills Jr. and Sr. They would be right in the Encyclopedia Americana and Britannica, of course. They were famous individuals, and I believe they, their names were even taught in 
in some public school settings, I'm sure, for uh, we have a book that was written in 1906 uh, on the life of Samuel J. Mills. It's on the table there. It's on the 100-year anniversary of the haystack that we're going to get to in a minute here. But this, this young man grew up in a preacher's house, and he was converted at, in 1801 in Litchfield. If you go down to the next little bullet point, uh, he's brought up in Calvinism. I'll do this quickly. I already touched on Calvinism. The Congregationalists were Calvinists uh, by and large. They were covenant theologians, and I don't want to get too deep here, but dispensational theology hadn't been too, too much developed, although I believe that Bible's always taught dispensationalism, of course. That's another day, another subject, of course. But these men were Calvinists by and large, and they believed in the elect, and that some people were elect and some people were not elect, and there was some misogyny that was a part, of the, uh, part of their movement, of course, and so forth, and uh, puritanical... Uh, uh, we could say Phariseeism, of course, and so forth, but they believed some races were more favored than other races, of course. And, and, uh, and so he was brought up in this Calvinism, of course, and that some were predestined to heaven and some were predestined to hell. And he wrote in his memoirs, this is just an just a excerpt in, in one of his uh, many writings, and you can, you can read his, uh, uh, his memoirs. They're still intact to this day. They're up in Williams College, where we're going to go to on our tour. He's, he wrote these words, what pained him most of all, his autobiography said this of him rather, pained him most of all uh, was the discrimination of divine favor. He joined his father's church in the, the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He didn't know if he was elect. He didn't know if God, Christ's mercy extended towards him. He cried out as a teenage boy, he would cry out for God's mercy. And right then, I have to do this quickly, but if you go to Town Hill Road, one, uh, and we won't have time on the tour on Friday because it would take us two days to do the tour right, but uh, there's a picture of the church that was on Town Hill Road. The foundation is still there today. There's this picture where the steeple has come off and it's gone like an upside-down ice cream cone is stuck in the, the, the church. That was a very famous pastor, Edward George Griffin, and uh, he is, he's on, these, he's on the, the picture out there. He's the pre he became the president of Williams College where we're going. He was a very famous preacher on uh, par with uh, Billy Graham or, or Jack Hiles or some famous preacher that you might consider in American history. And uh, he was a very famous preacher. He preached right over here in, in uh, New Hartford. And he was friends with, uh, he only pastored here for six years, but between 1795 and 1801, they had revival in the, if you have a ground floor place where the second great awakening in America happened, it happened in New Hartford, Connecticut, right there on Town Hill Road and some 400 people came to know Christ as Savior over a period of six, six years, of course, and Samuel J. Mills uh, was uh, one of those that got saved down in Litchfield, and th these preachers were all, all friends of each other. There was Francis Bellamy down, and Joseph Bellamy down in Bethlehem, of course, and there was, uh, uh, later on, of course, there was Lyman Beecher at Litchfield, the congregational that's going to preach at Obukai's funeral, and I'm and getting too much information and getting ahead of myself here. Let's go back to his conversion just real quickly. Uh, he was converted at 18 years of age when he realized that God's, uh, God's favor could be even bestowed upon a wretch like himself. He really did believe John Newton's words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine, was blind, but now I see. He, 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 in the, he, rejected Calvinism, and there was a uh, movement that, was, that we're going to look at when we look at John Leland called the New Divinity, or we know it more of as the New Lighters as opposed to the Old Lighters. 
in the Congregationalist Church. Many Baptist preachers came out of the Congregationalist Church. They were once Congregationalists, but uh, the old, old letters said that, you know, well, we're following tradition and we're part of the covenant family of God and we're, we're in Christ by default because we're born in the right family and we've been christened and catechized and confirmed and, and grown up in the church and so forth and we're just part of the, part of the fold. Well, the new letters came along and they, they discovered a revolutionary concept that you must be born again. They understood that uh, salvation was uh, we required a new birth. And so this movement started to take place with Bellamy down in Bethlehem and of course, obviously with Beecher and with Father Mills, uh, he started to started reject this old line Calvinism and started to believing what, uh, and there's much written on this for the record. This is, I'm not just embellishing in any stretch of imagination, there's, but m most people don't read history any longer today to even find out how, how this is so such common daily news, of course, in churches and uh, across New England and for that matter, the colonies. Eastern Massachusetts and eastern the, the shores, the eastern Connecticut and Rhode Island were the Baptists, but they, they were the old lighters mainly, and the new lighters were in western Connecticut and western Massachusetts. And so he's converted gloriously at, at 18 years of age, and uh, he becomes greatly concerned for revival. And by the way, Edwin Dorr Griffin, again over here, and had a, was greatly instrumental in his his uh, conversion and his revival. And later on, Samuel J. Mills would be instrumental in getting him to be the president of uh, Williams College, uh, Yale School wannabe, or rather uh, Ivy League School wannabe, as you're gonna find out if you've never been to Williams College, you that go on the tour. But he's called to Williams College, that's Samuel J. when he's 23 years of age. I, I wanted to, uh, he, he de de develops a deep consecration for the things of the Lord. He writes in his diaries, many things uh, regards to his calling about uh, his burden for the lost and around the world and so forth. And he, he believes that, that, they, that uh, every man has a soul, including the black African. And uh, that was a revolutionary concept with some people. And, uh, and uh, the, far, the people in the Far East and so forth. And uh, I asked Diane, if Diane, would you just read, this is from his memoirs from June before the haystack. This is what he writes in his diary. Just give you a glimpse of his heart and his soul. Go ahead, Diane. And many more, I guess a couple more quotes here I'd like to read, but I'm looking at the clock here. I think we're going to move forward here for time's sake. So he's called to Williams College, and there's something going on, and it's hard to explain this in a soundbite, but uh, French skepticism had taken and prevailed over colleges in, uh, throughout America, and the, the Ivy League schools, the Harvards, the, the, uh, the Yales, the Princetons, and it was founded by... Uh, the School of New Jersey, of course, College of New Jersey was followed. The first president was John, none other than Jonathan Edwards for the first six months. But they'd all gone, what we would say today is liberal. And uh, new colleges are going to start popping up that are preaching the, true to the gospel, of course, and new churches, of course, obviously, as well. And uh, Williams College followed the suit. It was a, just a new college. It's only been around since 1795. 
And so this is 1806 when Samuel Yale becomes a resident there at the Yale version of the poor man's version of Yale University. He wanted to go where his daddy went in Yale, but he went to Williams instead. And uh, he, in the fall of 20, 1823, or excuse me, 1806, and August 6th is the date of the, what we call the Haystack Prayer Meeting. You go down, if you go to the Consecration and Commission from 1806 to 1812, I want to talk about the Haystack, and you've seen pictures of the, we'll see the Haystack Monument on the monument at the house, uh, right in front of the house there, we'll, we'll take a picture of our group, and uh, it has a picture of the monument that we're going to see, the 12-foot high granite monument that we'll see up in Williamstown, and it's a three-foot globe on the top of the world, it's got a field and uh, it's got a uh, haystack and what took place was two times a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays these consecrated men they called themselves the brethren they they got together just a handful there was a secret society and uh, I wish I had time to go into the reasons why they had a secret society because they were thinking something so revolutionary that it that it had to be kept secret and uh, they would pray two times a week they would pray for William Carey and the London Missionary Society, the Baptist Missionary to India. Uh, America's always been Johnny Come Lately, and the England, English had already started the, American, the English modern-day missionary movement, of course, to the Far East, starting with India with William Carey. And once a month, these letters would come across the ocean and come across the pond, and, and uh, they would get into colonist hands and Christian hands, and they would read these missionary prayer letters from William Carey and others that were it had launched out from England, of course, and were preaching the gospel in the far reaches beyond, of course. And they would, they would pray. And uh, one day on August 6th, it was a driving rainstorm. And uh, they ran and they hid underneath. They, they prayed by the Hoosick River and uh, outdoors, of course. But this day it rained heavily. And so they found themselves under a, basically a TP. And uh, there was, they, they're known as the Haystack Five. If you can go to the next screen real quickly here. There was James, James Richards, there was Francis Robbins from Norfolk, Connecticut. Uh, he was the re, re, related to Esther Robbins, of course, was uh, the wife of, of, uh, of uh, uh, Samuel J. Mills Sr., of course. And then there was Harvey Loomis. We'll go by Harvey Loomis' house. It's still original house. It's sitting on 183. It's about four houses before we get to Samuel J. Mills' house. And then there's Byron Green. Uh, Byron Green, he's the one that identified where the Haystack prayer meeting took place. And here's what essentially happened. Samuel J. Mills was the oldest of the five. He was 23 years old. They were all younger than he. The youngest was, uh, was 19 years of age. They were all 21, 20, etc. And, uh, and Samuel J. Mills made a proposal, and he said this, essentially. He said, well, they just got into reading their prayer letters. They'd pray for missionaries around the world. And America had not launched an official modern-day missionary movements uh, of any sorts whatsoever. And so Samuel J., as the rain was coming down on uh, that Saturday afternoon on August 6, 1806, he said, I got an idea, gentlemen. Why don't we covenant ourselves? We'll be the first. Why don't we covenant ourselves to go into all the world and just give ourselves to, and one of the things they said, we're not going to marry. Uh, Samuel J. Mills was the only one that kept that promise. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, the other four are all married, of course, but uh, uh, Samuel J. said, well, I'm not going to marry, I'm going to be a eunuch for the Lord, and uh, I'm going to give my life to, at 23 years of age, I'm going to give my life to the cause of world missions. And he says, let's just covenant ourselves to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Now that was tantamount, that was so audacious to say that in 1806 in new, newly found America, that would be like five boys in a Arkansas 1910 old rusted, rusted barn with old sheet metal around and one guy sits down and says, hey guys, I got an idea. Why don't we take this sheet metal and build a, fabricate a rocket and go to the moon? This was a, absolutely a, a crazy idea. In fact, it was so crazy that Harvey Loomis refused to pray. He said, we cannot do this. This is impossible. And there was a famous mission cry that came out of Samuel J's words as they were recorded. He said, we can do it if we will. And he said, and these guys are going to launch the modern day American mission movement, of course. And uh, uh, Loomis said, we need to wipe out the Muslims before and uh, the non-elect and maybe, maybe take 100 years before we can do this, before we can even begin to fulfill what we know today is the Great Commission. Now, from 1806 to 1812, at the top of the page, a lot of history we're trying to cover in 35 minutes, hard to do. But uh, in 1812, we have the picture of, uh, we don't have the picture, I guess, on the screen here, but uh, uh, go, go to the next screen, if you would, please, uh, to the men of the haystack and, and uh, Sammy J. Mills, Jr. Yeah, I guess we got it on the screen there. Uh, he's born April 21st, 1783. Again, he's going to die in June 18th, 1818, at the age of 35. And uh, go to the next slide real quickly here. The mindset of the time. Uh, I already mentioned French skepticism and ungodliness and uh, had invaded the campuses. There was carnality. There was Calvinism. We touched on that. There was covenant theology. There was close-mindedness. This mission has never been done before. Go to the next screen here, and I know I'm going rapid fire. The meeting at the haystack, we talked about the site. It's at Williams College. We'll see it on Friday, of course. The storm that comes up, the sermon by Samuel J. Mills and the challenge, and he said we can do it if we will, and uh, then there's a surrender and the supplication. The next, next slide is what we want here. This is, this is, we got the big picture downstairs in our Hall of Missions. This is a very famous picture. I've been in the church. This church is still in Salem, Massachusetts. I don't suppose anybody's been to the witch houses, uh, uh, the witch house, but I've been to Salem several times and uh, everything's about witches. So sad, so pathetic. Well, the kneeling bench where these five missionaries are kneeling, the, the kneeling bench is still there at the church. This church seats 1,200 people. There's like there's supposedly 1,800 people here at this commissioning service six years later, all because of Samuel J. Mills and the, the founding, the founding uh, men of the Haystack prayer meeting, of course. They, they ignited a fire over the next six years in Congregationalist churches. They, they, they had all the money, quite frankly. The Baptist churches and the Methodist churches, we, 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 were, we were the poor folk, I'm just being honest with you. And, uh, and Congregationalists were different than they are today. The second man in, if you see that picture, let's see how good it comes out on the screen. The second man in is Edward Dorr Griffin. He's got his head on Samuel uh, not all these five missionaries, the Adam Judson is the first guy on the left, and all five of these missionaries go off to, uh, they start off to India, they end up in Ceylon, Sri Lanka, and uh, uh, of course J J Judson goes on to Burma. Luther Rice comes back and founds this, and of course we have the seminary, Luther Rice Seminary in, in uh, Florida, and uh, not, not time to tell you about this great event. This was such a big event, this is so much our history has changed, I gotta tell you this. There was a museum 30 years ago when I started researching this in Salem on the dock on the seaport about the size of maybe, it wasn't a big, big museum, but maybe twice the size of this stage. And it had a, a wooden boat, about, I mean, from the door to about here, I mean, a 
15-foot wooden carved boat, of course, uh, sail. Uh, the sa th this news, this missionary launch made, was made it all over America. It was the front page newspaper in the USA Today papers of the day, the Boston Globe. This was, uh, I, have a, uh, I have a newspaper from 1812 on my, on my office. Some of you have seen it maybe. And it's uh, and the first, the headline news was what the missionaries were doing. This was American, this was Americana. This was, Americans knew about this. This was, this was as big as the Apollo 11 moon launch. It's how big this was. And that's not an exaggeration. And it's all because of the boys at the haystack. And time doesn't even permit to, to launch into the incredible story of Obuakaya. We'll try to cover that on the tour. We'll go to his grave, his once upon a time grave in Cornwall. Now it's in Hawaii, of course. And the God's, the coincidental meeting, uh, nothing, there's no such thing as coincidences, it's just God instances. How Obuakaya meets, uh, or Mills meets Obuakaya, brings him back to Torringford right here, right in our backyard here, and uh, he becomes the poster boy for all things mission-minded. Of course, the school, the foreign mission school in, in Cornwall, which you'll see, of course, and the, the, the house that Obuakaya dies in is still there, of course, and and uh, a lot of history right there. But uh, I call the Apostle Paul, rather Mills, the Apostle Paul of America. And uh, go down to the next bullet point there. The commission carried out to the uttermost parts of the world. And a one-minute tour. Paul did how many missionary tours that we know of? The Apostle Paul had three missionary tours. Uh, how many shipwrecks was he in? One shipwreck. The Apostle Paul, or rather, Sammy J. Mills was on three missionary tours. And uh, one shipwreck. And uh, let me give you a soundbite here, one minute apiece here. Let me give you what he did. In the summer of 1812, in fact, July 4th, 1812 to be exact, he starts off from Torringford on a horse. And he rides to my hometown in Asheville, Ohio, up through what we know of as uh, Mohawk country, up through upper state New York, across all the way Buffalo into northeast Ohio to a town called Austinburg. On the tour, I'll show you the... There's the, the, back to the tombstone. There's a tombstone with Mills here, and right here is a tombstone with Austinburg, Ohio. And uh, Ohio, Ohio was part of the Connecticut Western Reserve, of course, and many Ohio Connecticutites settled in Ohio, of course, and my neck of the woods in Ohio, of course. And, and, uh, and Sammy J. Mills went right through Austinburg, Ohio, and all the way down to what we know of as Marietta, Ohio. He got on a little boat with a guy named, I want to say Samuel Jackson, Andrew Jackson. You might have heard of him before. And uh, it's 1812. There's something going on called the War of 1812 that just started, didn't have a name for it. They called it the Second Revolutionary War. And, and Samuel J. J. sails down on a flatboat with s several hundred of the troops, and they go to Indiana, Illinois. They get to a place called the Mississippi River. They meet a guy by the name of, uh, I got to brush up on this, either uh, Meriwether Lewis or uh, Clark, one of the, one of the well, I think it was Mary Ware Lewis from Lewis and Clark expedition. They sail all the way down to New Orleans. This is, he's, on a, he's on a horse. One year to the day, he does a 3,000 mile circuit all the way to New Orleans. He gets, oh, I forgot to tell you about his stop in Kentucky. He stopped in Kentucky, he got 40,000 Bible. Every night he's writing, writing letters back to the east and uh, setting them in their version of the, uh, the Pony Express, of course. And, He's running back to the need, he's chronicling how many churches there are in the far west, i.e. Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, how many Bibles there are, which is hardly any. And so he commissions uh, 
the New Hartford Bible, the Hartford Bible Society and the New York Bible Society and Massachusetts to print New Testaments, of course, and gets 40,000 New Testaments to the, the backwoods people of, uh, of uh, Kentucky. And then he gets down to New Orleans and he preaches the gospel down there and he, and he gets Bibles in French uh, to, uh, this is all on his first missionary journey. He gets Bibles in the French language too because they're all Cajuns down there. And so he gets Bibles to give to the people of New Orleans. See, on the way up, uh, he comes through Georgia. He's on horse still. And uh, he actually loses his horse. He's on a different horse now. And a uh, horse couldn't make it 3,000 miles, but he made it 3,000 miles. He got to New, New Jersey, and he starts the first school for black preachers in America. It lasted for just about nine years, and then it went under, of course. But, uh, and then he got to New York City, and he talked to... Uh, a guy named John Jay, first Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America, of course, and became the first uh, uh, president of the American Bible Society, which Sam and Jay coalesced and got that thing going together. That was on his first missionary journey. On his second missionary journey, and this is in 20 seconds here, he basically repeats the same thing, 17, 1814 to 1815. In 1815, he gets back to New Orleans, and guess what just happened? The Battle of New Orleans happened which was the largest battle of the, the War of 1812, of course, and they didn't know, but the, armist the, the peace treaty had already been signed in England, but they didn't know that. They fought the battle after the, the peace treaty was brokered, and he got to preach to American troops. He got to preach to the British troops, 700 British troops that had been wounded and were in barns, and, and he got Bibles to them. Yeah, I forgot to tell you about the five tribes, missionary tribes, or rather Indian tribes that he preached the gospel to. That was his second missionary journey. Then there's the... the the short-run version of the shipwreck, uh, he sails to England with a guy named Ebenezer Burgess. I haven't even told you about the Andover Newton Theological Seminary that they founded in 1810, of course, the same year that Obuakai was founded in 1810, and same year Mrs. Mrs. Mills dies in 1810. A lot of things happened in 1810. And uh, uh, so they sail in with Ebenezer Burgess from a professor at uh, Andover Newton. He and Mills take off in 1816, uh, actually, I believe it was. Uh, or, and they, and, uh, they get on a ship, a little sloop, and uh, they set sail from southern England, and they, they don't get past the, what we know of today as the, uh, the uh, oh, I can't pull off the top of my head, the, the, the cliffs, of, uh, cliffs, of, uh, cliffs of Dover. Or, they're in the English Channel. They can see, they can see France. And they, they get into a Euro, their version of Euroclide in Acts 27. And it's every man for themselves. And they watch as the, the captain and his two first and second crewmen, or his two sons, get in a boat and say, every man for themselves, they get in a lifeboat. And they try to make it to shore. And they see them dashed to pieces against rocks and, and killed. And the center mass goes down, just like in the, uh, the, the mass that cracked in, uh, on the Mayflower, of course. And uh, Samuel J. pulls a... Apostle Paul, and he says, time to pray, boys. This is Marty Schott's version of it. You can read this all, and there's several books written about this event and uh, this story. And they, they pray, and the storm is lifted, of course. They repair the mast, and they sail all the way around the Horn of Africa. And they settle, and they, they come to a new colony by the name of, anybody know the new colony they come to? It was founded by the, they, they just met William Wilberforce. He, William Wilberforce in Parliament, he's the one that, 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 eradicated slavery from America, from England, of course, in 1807. 
They meet William Wilberforce and this is Ebenezer Burgess and Samuel J. Mills and they got a document in their hand. I'll tell you that document in a minute. They sail to Sierra Leone. That was the penal camp or the, the freed colony for freed slaves from England. They sailed a little bit beyond Sierra Leone and they found a little country. They, st they started a little town by the name of Millsburg. It's still there today. It's a suburb as Millsburg is to, uh, in, well, Millsburg becomes the first capital of Liberia. And what was the purpose of Liberia? It was to be a colony for freed slaves, but a colony for freed slaves with the through the propagation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, the capital of Liberia is what? Do you know it? Somebody knows it. Somebody knows it. Somebody's got to know the capital of Liberia. Somebody, anybody at all? When I say it, you're going to say, you're going to say I, this is a Jeopardy question. You should get this. It's Monrovia. What does he have in his hand? What does Mills have in his hand? He has a document from James Monroe, the fifth president of the United States, and to found this uh, license and permission to found this colony in Africa called Liberia for the propagation of the gospel. So they, they found a country they, for the liberation of the black man through the, primarily the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Liberia doesn't become a nation until 20-something years later, but that's another story. And on the way back, he, 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 he dies in, in, in the ship, of course, and he's, he's buried at sea. And uh, what do we know about Samuel J. Mills? Well, he, he's the, if Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield were the, the supernovas, superstars of the first Great Awakening, uh, the second Great Awakening didn't have any superstars but a thousand points of light. But the first point of light, uh, Samuel J. Mills has been likened to the spark that lit the conflagration that set the world afire. He wrote these words, and I'm reading from the worksheet. The calling of the missionary to the heathen is a glorious high calling. He who thinks himself above it ought not to call himself a follower of Christ. May God give us his spirit from on high that we may know what your duty is and be constrained to do it. Uh, he said to Ebenezer Burgess on the way back from the from traveling, uh, uh, from founding Liberia. He said, I think if it please God that I should take Obuakaya and go to the Sandwich Islands, that's Africa, uh, Hawaii, of course, and there I shall end my life. Little did he know that Obuakaya just died the same year. Obuakaya dies at 26, age of years, 26 years of age. Lyman Beecher is going to preach his funeral from Litchfield, Connecticut, of course. He's the superstar of the, the mission college there in Cornwall, as we're going to find out, this Obuakaya. And he was kindred spirits and kindred brothers with, with Samuel J. Mills. You say, how, how important was Samuel J. Mills in his life? And from 23, he dedicated his life to go in the mission field. He dies at 35, 12 years goes by. He starts, he, he reaches, he wants to reach every people group for, for, for the world. He wants to so he, he takes two mission trips to the far west, i.e. Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, uh, New Orleans, etc. He speaks to five Indian groups. He speaks to the French Ca Canadian or Cajuns, the, Can uh, the Frenchmen in New Orleans. He speaks to the American soldiers. He speaks to Andrew Jackson. He speaks to, or he preaches to the British soldiers. He gets them Bibles, by the way. I didn't tell you that. He's on the ground floor of the American Bible Society. He founds the colony of Liberia, of course, and he does it all in a 12-year period of time. You say, uh, I, I never heard about this guy here. Let's just uh, skip, this, skip this rest of the pictures here. Let me get to the, the punchline, if we could, here. Uh, the six-year anniversary, six years after he died, 
I want you to see this quote. This is from the valedictorian commencement address by a very famous preacher. He's he become a, a longtime uh, professor at Yale. I know we have a disdain for Yale, but back in those days, it wasn't so bad. Leonard Bacon was his name. You maybe have heard that name. He's a famous clergyman of Connecticut. And he wrote, he did the valedictorian address, and here's what he said about Samuel G. Mills six years after he died, and we'll, we'll end with this. He died in his youth, and at this hour his influence is felt in Asia, in Africa, in the islands of the sea, and in every corner of his native country. All that knew his history will say that I have exaggerated neither the grandeur of his aspirations nor the result of his efforts. He traversed our land like a ministering spirit from the hill country of the, of the pilgrims to the valley of, of the Missouri, from village to village and from city to city, pleading now with the patriot for a country growing up into an immensity of power and now with a Christian for a world lying in wickedness. Mind you, this is written in 1824, six years after he dies. He explored in person the desolations of the West, and in person, he stirred up the enterprise and efforts of the churches of the East. He lived for India and Hawaii and died in the service of Africa. He went to heaven in his youth, but his works do follow him. Like a train of glory that still widens and brightens forever, who can measure the influence of one such minister of the gospel? And this Samuel J. Mills, he lit the fire that, that's burning to this day I didn't even get a chance to even talk to when I was in India, or rather in Hawaii, and I'll end with this story. As God would have it, uh, Rich Starry and I and Sonny were there on the, on the, uh, the day that uh, the church, I think we had that picture. If we fast forward the picture here, I think it shows the picture, I think we have it. Just start clicking through those slides here. Uh, do we have it? Well, go, okay, yes, just stay, I, I don't have it, I'm sorry, I thought I had the picture of the church. I don't have it. Uh, there's the Haystack Monument right there with a group of preachers that we've done on a tour many years ago, of course, but uh, Samuel J., uh, of course, lit the world afire by his fervency, by his gospel, and oh, I started to say the missionaries had left, left from the American Board for Commissions for Foreign Missions uh, ultimately, hundreds of missionaries went around the world, and oh, I, I know where I was. I was in Hawaii, and we were there the night that the the mayor of Honolulu uh, got down on his knees. We sang "Amazing Grace," shout to the Lord, and I know he's a Democrat, but hang with me. Uh, put him on his knees, and six preachers gathered around and bowed and prayed for them. They do it every year in the church that was founded by. Hiram Bingham, who was the missionary that landed in 1820 to give the gospel that Obuakai wanted to give, of course. And one preacher, the Kingdom Life preacher, said, the greatest revival in the history of Christianity took place in Hawaii and because of the, the spark of Obuakai, of course, and uh, uh, how he wanted to go back, and, and he would have never gone back had it not been for Samuel J. Mills. Greatest revival in the history of Christianity, 2,000 years of Christianity, happened in Hawaii in the Pacific Islands where all these islands were converted to Christ thanks to one man that found, Samuel J. Mills found Obuakai on the steps of Yale, Yale College. And that's the greatest part of the whole story, and I didn't even get a chance to even say it. Uh, uh, went around.
around the world in, in a two-year round-world trip on, in, a, in a frigate, in a, in a boat, and landed in Yale, New Haven, Connecticut. And Samuel Zee Mills says, luck would have it, met him and brought him back to home, and the rest, as they say, is history. And his works are still going on to this day. 